Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christogenia Saturdays. Today is Saturday, January 20th, 2018. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and thank you for listening. Tonight, one more time, we have Clifton Emmerheiser here. I hope he'll be here more than one more time, but it's one more time for now. We have Clifton Emmerheiser here to discuss the second part of his series, on the phony no Satan dogma. Hello, Clifton. How are you? Well, I'm just fine. Getting along fine here in Florida? Yeah, right. It's, Sunny Florida? It could be just a little bit warmer this year. But yeah, it's the coldest winter since we've moved sure down enough, here. Sure enough, winter followed me right down here. Yes, it did. <laughs> yes, it did. This is the first winter I've ever been tempted to wear a coat. I haven't done it yet, but I'm tempted. Okay. In the first part of the series, we discussed things such as Genesis 3.15 against the possibility that perhaps there really is no Satan. Of course, the proposition is quite ridiculous. We discussed the references by Christ to Satan. Other New Testament titles which referred to Satan. We discussed the way of Cain. The misconception of the origins of Judaism and the Jews. The origin of the so-called bad fig Jews and their nature and their identity. And then in brief, we discuss the origin of the non-white races, even though we only discuss that very much in brief. With that, we concluded in part that if we examine the words of Jude and Peter in his second epistle, along with what we see in Revelation chapter 6, and then we read the Enoch literature that Jude and Peter were actually citing, directly and indirectly. We can piece together the origin of the other races. Then if we examine the parables of Christ, and especially those of the gnat and the sheep and the goats, we see that non-Adamic so-called races all have the same fate as the devil and his angels. So we asked, does their destiny not betray their origin? Clifton, do you have anything to, um, to add to, to add to that? Not right now. Okay. Well, I guess we'll, I, get, I think that's a pretty good rundown from where we were at, though. I, I guess we'll get started. <clears throat> In part two of your series, you began to discuss the possibility of Satan being the flesh. Does this not insinuate that we all descended from the devil? Yes, it does. And there's no way around that. So we're all devils because all men sin. If you listen to certain elements in this uh, of people uh, teaching things, uh, you'd have to conclude that uh, Christ was a devil. Uh, uh, Adam and Eve were devils and we're all devils. Every one of us. There's yes. no way around. Yes. You know, I want to discuss, um, and, and this is the next part of part two of your series of your papers. I want to discuss the Satan deniers or, or at least one particular Satan deniers interpretation of John one, John chapter three, verse nine, the first epistle of John chapter three, verse nine. And I'm going to quote it from the Christogenian New Testament. I know that there's a word missing in, 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 um, in the King James Version, because it's simply not translated. 
from the Christian New Testament, 1 John 3, 9, each who has been born from of Yahweh does not create wrongdoing because his seed abides in him and he is not able to do wrong because from of Yahweh he has been born. And this, this is, um, this one particular Satan denier, I'll call him a Satan denier, it's just easy. He said that the real Satans, and in response to this passage, and, and he'll probably quote it again here from the King James Version, the real Satans of the Bible are not fallen angels, but in fact, the carnal sin nature of man. He that practices sin is of the devil, citing 1 John 3, 8. And he says, in other words, when we transgress the law of God, it's from our own sin nature, being enticed with our own desires. For the devil sinned from the beginning, meeting, meaning, according to his interpretation, meaning Adam and Eve. And continuing in verse 9, everyone having been born of God does not sin because his seed, God's, he, he interprets that his seed to refer to God's seed remains in him, and he, meaning man, does not value sinning. I don't know what version that is, probably the NIV or NASB or something else that's rather new. By this are the children of God and the children of the devil revealed. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. The context here, and this is the same commentator, the context here is the racial stock of Israel not satanic seedline Jews, and, and we would dispute with that. If white people sin, they are the adversaries of God. The qualifier is not an evil infusion of supernatural genetics. It's behavioral in doing what's right according to God. And, and in that sense, you could even squeeze a nigger into heaven. Yeah, right. It, it's just behavioral. Just never get caught doing anything. And yeah, right. You you got a free ride. You got a ticket. That that's the Catholic Church. That that's basically the Catholic Church teaching. That's the Universalist teaching. Yeah, it appears to be. The pronoun his in in First John three nine. In this verse, is not speaking of God's seed. I, I mean, it could be speaking of God's seed, because Adam's seed is God's seed, right? But it says each who has been born from of Yahweh does not create wrongdoing because his seed abides in him. The seed that God planted in the Adamic man abides in him. So each individual seed abides in him. A bastard seed is not, it is, is not a proper seed, right? It's made of two different kinds. It's a violation of God's law. This is speaking of the seed of man. This verse is simply stating that as long as a man's sperm remains within his race, he cannot genetically sin. And, and that race is that seed that God gave to Adam. And being born of God simply means being born from above, as it is at John chapter 3 in, in verses 3 and 7, where Christ said you must be born from above. Even Yahshua Christ himself, was born from above, as it is indicated in John 3.31. Being born from above simply means being born of the heavenly race, 
rather than being of the earth or earthy, right? It, it, right. I think the primary failure of the no Satan people is an ignorance of the racial aspects of scripture. Yeah, you know, the King James Version actually, uh, in, uh, along in the columns, point out that it should be born from above instead of born again. And then it repeats it the second time, and then the third time yet, uh, it speaks of Christ being born from above. Right, and that's John 3.31, and it's the same exact language in John 3.3 and, and John 3.7. Right. The same exact word. These people, that these no-Satan people, I believe, have an ignorance of the racial aspect of Scripture. They do not understand that there are two types of sinners. There's people who sin and cannot help themselves. They're congenital sinners. They're accounted as wrongdoers even when they try to do good. These are the people referred to by Christ where he said that many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And have we not in thy name cast out devils? And, and have we not in thy name done many wonderful works? And, and then Christ says, and then will I profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. That's the first type of sinner that no matter what they do, they can't be accepted by Christ. But then there's another group of people who sin. But they are called to repentance and they are promised forgiveness for their sins. The first group cannot possibly repent, and the second group will eventually all submit to Yahweh, as every knee will bow. And and those two groups can only be the sheep and the goats, right? or, or the wheat and the tares. And, and this isn't just white Christians and Jews, because the goats are every nation. It, it's, it's all the genetics of the situation. It's like uh, what the more most important thing is if we're under the covenant, and if we're under that covenant, we can't get out from un, out of that covenant, uh, no matter what. And, and people that are outside the covenant can't get in. And, and uh, uh, it it all revolves around the genetics of the thing, and whether you're under Abraham's covenant. Well, well, right. That's the sheep and the goats. The sheep are sheep by their nation, not by their behavior. And the goats are goats by their nation and not by their behavior. Right. It's built right into them. And, and each generation is going to copy the generation before. Yeah, understanding this. And, and once we understand it, there's a word in the first epistle of John. It's really not treated very well by the King James translators, that word, or by any others. That word is poieo, and poieo is a verb which means to create or produce or to make. And it could also mean to do, if you're doing something that, that creates something. It can mean to do, but it primarily means it, it has a, a stronger, there's a word to sin, Right? But when you take this word poieo and put it with the noun for sin rather than use the verb for sin, you're actually saying something different. You're creating sin rather than simply sinning. 
And there's a difference. And that distinction is made by John in that first epistle. But the, the, the modern translators ignore the distinction. If, if I say that you're a sinner, I'm not going to say that you're creating sin. I'm going to use the verb for sin. And that's the description all the way through the Old Testament of the children of Israel when they sin. But if I say that you're creating sin, I'm saying something totally different. And understanding this, we can see that in one John, in, in the first epistle of John, that there are two groups being described. One group are those creating sin. That group that Christ said, get away from me. I never knew you, you that work iniquity. The authors of sin who are of the devil and who have no propitiation for their sin. And the other group are people who are urged not to sin. But we all sin at some point in our lives. Every man sins and falls short of the glory of God, as Paul explained in, in his epistle to the Romans. But that group that, that can sin, they have a propitiation in Christ. And John is not telling those people that they're of the devil. He, he said, now we are from God. And, and then he said, if any man sins, he urged them not to sin in first John chapter two and said, if any man sins, we have a propitiation in Christ. So if we all sin at some time or another, how could we all be of the devil? Right. None of us would ever be of God. And that distinction between those who create sin and those who merely sin and, and have a propitiation, that, that distinction is lost in the modern translations and creates a, a lot of confusion when people try to sort these things out. As for people that um, have a proclivity to sin, the Jews have sinned and have been the authors of sin throughout every generation. The Jews have been usurers and pornographers and peddlers of smut that they've been um, the, the promoters of prostitution and, and gambling throughout every single generation of history. Right. Even in modern times, Las Vegas is owned by Jews. All of the, um, supposedly Italian and German gangsters in the 1920s and 30s. They were all Jews. Dutch Schultz was a Jew. Lucky Luciano was a Jew. All of these machine gun. I don't know about machine gun Kelly. He may have been a Jew. I don't even know. But a lot of those famous gangsters were really Jews. I wonder how many of those Jews was killed on Valentine's Day. It was Valentine's the Valentine's Day massacre. Remember that? Right. Well, well, it's their nefarious activities throughout the whole 20th century that, that popularized drug use and gambling and, and prostitution in the United States. And, and it became romantic. Hollywood romanticized those people and made their activities popular and, and, and desirable. It, it's you, you have um. You might want to read, you know, one no Satan advocate had once said that Jews are born and raised with a notorious effrontery and are thus the great masters of deceit. And this is a person that wrote this that denied that there was a Satan. But he knew that the Jews were born with this tendency to deceive 
and 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 with this notorious effrontery, as the as as he called it, I I would the Jews have a word for that chutzpah, I believe it is, and and they'll sin right in front of your face, and they won't care, and they'll be bold about it. You have a um a quote in there exemplifying their behavior in ancient times. Uh, yeah, um, I'm going to read uh, a thing here, uh, exemplifying the Jewish behavior throughout the centuries. In the book, The Plot Against the Church, meaning the Roman Church, chapter 16 under the heading, The 17th Council of Toledo Punishes the Jewish Conspiracies with slavery, pages 380 and 381. It tells how the efforts of the Romish church in the Gothic kingdom of Spain to establish peace between the two races in that kingdom, which failed under King Agassa, who took strict action against the secret Jews, those who merely pretended a conversion to Christianity in order to subvert it, of the bad fig variety. Here is an excerpt, um, Danger Threatened. The king and the 17th consul of Toledo took Refuge in a last hard resort confiscated the property of the Jews, declared them to be slaves, and took away from them the children that they might be brought up as Christians. The Romish church had to learn the hard way that the evil attributes of the bad fig Jews are congenital and that no amount of Christian training can change their pernicious ways even upon being raised without bad fig Jewish influence uh, from the cradle. And, and that's how they've always been, generation after generation after generation. If they can't if, if they cannot operate within a nation in order to um, pervert it and, and in order to propagate their perversions throughout a nation, they'll take centuries to subvert it if they have to. And, and they subverted Gothic Spain and, and they used the, the Muslims. They brought the Muslims in against them and they subverted medieval Spain and, and they subverted Italy in, in the 14th, 15th century, and they subverted Germany in the 15th and 16th century, and they subverted England in the 16th century and, and 17th century, and there's no end to their subversion. They subverted all of Europe during the so-called Enlightenment, and, and they were responsible for the spread of humanist doctrines and, and for the spread of the perversions of pagan literature in, in Europe in, in, during those centuries. And they supported the reformers on the side of the Reformation. They took something that was good and used it as a mask for their evil all through the Reformation. 
so that they could subvert the Protestant churches. And they did that. It, it's There's no end to the Jewish subversion, to their subversion tactics. And they've done this generation after generation after generation until we got to the point that we're at today. And they worked for, for 100 years to subvert the United States. You could take you could take um, every Jew and separate it from their parents, and they would still grow up and uh, and be the same nature uh, with with the best tutors in the world to try to teach them right. They would still do their thing. And and that was the lesson of Gothic Spain. Yeah. So we should have known this 1500 years ago that they, their nature cannot be changed by nurture this, or education. This book, The Plot Against the Church, was uh, an effort by several um, Catholic priests. Mm-hmm. And each one took a section and they covered the whole area clear back to Christ and, and all the history up there. And, and uh, it, it was a, it was an effort by several men putting several sections together and and things like I just read here uh, directly from that book. Well, well right. And let me say that, that. No, no matter how much we despise the Roman Catholic Church, because we have a lot of reasons to despise it. Yeah. There is there has always been a strong element within the Roman Catholic Church that was very um, aware of Jewish perfidy and Jewish treachery and always stood against the Jews. And I demonstrated in my Martin Luther and Life and Death series, which I hope to get back to someday, that it, it was the Dominican monks that wanted to burn the books of the Talmud and to run the Jews out. And the reformers took the side of the Jews. And so the Jews were, were, were supporting the reformers. And, and that was a, you know, there's a good and bad side to every, every story. Well, the, the emancipation of the Jews was the first step of that was the Reformation and the Jews were behind it because they knew that. And, and it was the Dominican monks that wanted to burn the books of the Talmud and get rid of Jews. And it took Martin Luther, even though he eventually realized that the Jews were no good, he didn't make that realization until 1543. At the end of his life. And, and he, he hung those, um, the, those 95 theses on the door of Wittenberg in like 1517, I think, 1518, something like that. So it took him 30 years to realize that the Jews were no damn good, but he had worked with them in, in the interim. Yeah, right. He was going to try to correct them, wasn't he? Yeah, he thought he could correct them. It took him 30 years to figure out that he couldn't correct them. But he finally finally said their tongue should be cut out and thrown in the river or something. (laughs) He said they they should be baptized in the river with a stone around their neck. (laughs) But it it took him his whole life to realize that. And, And this is sadly a lesson that we have to learn almost every generation. Well, it's, it's like it's predicted that Amalek will give us trouble every every, every generation. Right. How is two seed line not true if these Jew bastards are always evil and, and attempting to subvert us and using the other races against us like they did to Gothic Spain? And, and they've done this throughout every generation. They've acted the same way. They use the Turks against medieval Europe. They use the Muslim, Arab Muslims against 
Byzantine and, and early Western Europe. And they've done it every single, at every single turn. And in the Revelation, it clearly tells us that it's Satan who's going, going to use these other nations against the camp of the saints. That it's Satan who's going to spew out a flood after the woman. That flood was a flood of people. They were Muslims, they were Turks, they, they were niggers, they were whatever they could use to, to turn on the woman and, and to attack the woman they used right to this very day. How could there not be a Satan and how could they not be Satan? Uh, it's a matter of congenital, congenital, they're congenital liars from the womb. Absolutely. That this idea, though, that these no Satan people have this idea that Adam and Eve are the devil. And, and maybe you want to discuss that for us. You know, they get an idea and they try to find all kind of uh, things to back it. But they back themselves up in the corner where they can't get out. Yeah, but they twist scripture after scripture. They would rather twist a 100 scriptures to support their idea than just accept the truth about one scripture. Right. All they have to do is accept the truth about Genesis 3.15. They say Adam and Eve are the devil, but when, when Adam and Eve sinned, Yahweh addressed three parties, not two. He addressed the serpent and Eve and then Adam. He didn't address just two parties. But he, he, he addressed the serpent separately. Yes. He addressed three parties. Right. Right. First, he addressed the the. the the, the serpent, then he addressed the woman, then he addressed Adam. He, he addressed three distinct parties, not two. So how could Adam and Eve be the devil if three parties are punished in Genesis chapter 3? Right. It, they, they would rather, rather than accept the fact that there were three parties there being punished, that there were three parties Yahweh addressed separately, and that two of those parties would have seed that were opposed to one another, rather than address that, rather than accept that, they would rather twist every other scripture in the book right. to pretend that there's no devil. I will now read um, Adam and Eve as the devil. If Adam and Eve were of the devil, inasmuch as Christ was genetically of Adam and in the image of Adam and often referred to in the New Testament as the son of man, meaning son of Adam, that would make Yeshua Christ the devil. Also, uh, the, the devil also. Mary, many scoff, rather, many scoff at First uh, John 3.12, which says, Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. There are only two choices here. Either the dragon, Satan, is the wicked one, or it is Adam. Again, by the 
criteria that Adam is Satan, it makes Christ a descendant of Satan. And that is exactly what all of the crony, no Satan, and two C liner, and anti two C liners demand. Further, if the no Satan people are correct, then Yahshua came to destroy himself. How absurd. If Adam was the first Satan, does that make Yahshua Christ the second Satan? Pardon me if I barf. But that is not all, for they say that both Adam and Eve were devils. Does that make uh, us a race of devils? Pardon me while I barf again. Barf again. All these, no Satan and anti-two-seed-line people, keep screaming that it's the flesh, it's the flesh, it's the flesh. But Ephesians 6.12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the dark, rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. This passage spells out in no uncertain terms both that, uh, both what we wrestle against and what that which we do not wrestle against and it uh, indicates that we do not wrestle against flesh it appears to me that the NIC liners need to find out what principalities are they need to discover what powers are they need to learn who the rulers of darkness are, and they need to come to an understanding of what it means when it designates spiritual wickedness in high places. Offhand, I would classify Anna Seedliners as aiding and abetting uh, the latter, if not all. And, and that's true. We, we wrestle. We all, we, we each as... Paul explains in Romans chapter six, we each have a struggle with, with our fleshly carnal nature, but the flesh is not our enemy. Our enemies are the, the, the rulers of the darkness of this world. Who, who are they? What sort of people fits that description? In, in Luke chapter four and Matthew chapter four, it was a devil that claimed to rule the world and Christ called him a devil. And the apostles called him a devil when he claimed he claimed to, to to have power over all the kingdoms of the world. So we have a distinct person. Now, Christ wasn't telling his flesh that 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 men live by bread alone. <laughs> that men don't live by bread alone. Men live by the the word of God, right? He wasn't saying that to his flesh. The flesh doesn't understand. The word of God, as Paul says in Romans chapter six. But that individual need for continence and to keep the law and walk in the spirit 
that has nothing to do with our enemies because the people who walked in the spirit still had enemies. Paul of Tarsus walked in the spirit and the Jews were storming them outside of the gates in, in the cities of Anatolia. So was his flesh his enemy or were the Jews his enemy? <laughs> the people that are contrary to all men. If Adam is the devil, who is the accuser of our brethren in Revelation chapter 12? If Adam is the devil, is Adam and his angels going to, to the lake of fire along with the goat nations? Because the goat nations are going to the lake of fire with the devil and his angels. So is that Adam going into the lake of fire with his angels? Or maybe it's Eve going into the lake of fire with her angels. It says his. <laughs> Who's going into the lake of fire it, it, with, the de with his angels? Who could that be describing? Is that describing all sinners? But if we all sin, we're all devils. That This no devil thing is absolutely ridiculous. You have to make um, spaghetti out of scripture to try to make sense of it. Are the flesh and its angels going to the lake of fire? Because Christ is returning in the flesh, as you pointed out, right? It, it's just insane. If he's turning in the flesh, he's turning as the devil then, isn't he? Yeah, right. <laughs> Once, what one no Satan proponent estimates the belief in a Satan or a satanic entity to be a form of idolatry, which would prevent Christians from eternal life. If you believe in a Satan, you're not going to heaven. That, that's his contention. He says, we can rest assured that our rejection of Satan as a supernatural reality will not affect the true integrity of Christianity. In the real world, acceptance of such fables actually infects and contaminates Christianity with theological cancers. Ironically, the delusional deity of dual seed liners is but a mere reflection of John 844, which they are so fond of quoting little do they realize the death they bring upon themselves and others for not hearing the truth of god's word they too entertain the possibilities of their precious devil becoming blind to the purpose of creation and estranged from the one true god it is clear that god had no cosmic or earthly competition and that his omnipotence is virtually infinite Spooks and goblins are best left to spear chuckers living in mud huts. Now, I would say that angels may be on earth or in heaven, but where do we insist that the devil of Genesis 3.15 must be a supernatural reality? Right. We don't make that insistence. We don't say that some devil floated down from the sky and raped Eve and went back up into the clouds. Nobody said that. Well, the, the truth of the matter is, if we wanted to visit Satan, we could we could visit Satan. Uh, we, we could do it any day we wanted to. Absolutely. And, and uh, the way you do that, you take a little time off of what your other things you got to do, and go around to some jewelry stores, and you, and you go in that jewelry store, and what you'll meet in there is the devil behind the counter. About ninety nine percent of the time, yeah, uh, uh, you'll you'll meet Satan in, in shoe leather, 
or a synagogue or a bank or, or well, a you'll law find office. him in back rooms of the bank and and a whole lot of other places. But I mean, if you want to be pretty sure you're going to uh, want to you want to visit Satan and talk to him, just simply go to a jewelry store and you'll find Satan there. That's about your best bet. Yeah, I mean, right. if you go to a medical office, it might be fifty-fifty in New York, but if you go to a jewelry store, it's ninety-five-five probably. Yeah, right. So, so uh, they don't know they don't know what to look on as a devil. They got this idea that the devil is some kind of a, a, a creature with horns. He's carrying a, a pitchfork and all that kind of stuff. I had a customer in my business that he was intrigued about uh, uh, they was going around. If you did something that wasn't right, he said, well, the devil made me do it. And uh, he was in the uh, business of, um, of fixing up houses had been partially burned and that type of thing and and insurance jobs and stuff like that. But uh, he made a lot of money at it. He got a real fancy truck, and he had it detailed, and he had him uh, uh, draw a picture some way, make a picture of Satan with a pitchfork and the horns and all that. And down at the end of it, he he said, the devil made me do it. And And the people that are thinking in terms of a Satan – with a pitchfork and, and horns and stuff like that, uh, that just, uh, image that somebody dreamed up someplace to, to what, draw what they thought Satan would look like. Well, well, I really think that that line, the devil made me do it was popularized in the late sixties or the early seventies by a nigger named Flip Wilson on a television show called Laugh In. You know, now that you mention it, I, I, I do kind of remember that. So your, your your customer had adopted this nigger saying, <laughs> and a nigger made him do it. He was right. A devil made him do it. A devil did make him do it. <laughs> because those spear chuckers are devils every bit as the Jews are devils. <laughs> we, we believe that the spear chuckers are themselves the children of devils, along with all of the other non-whites. But especially the Jews and, and the Arabs who have that Canaanite and Kenite and Rephaim blood directly. That they, 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 the, the no Satan advocates do not see the possibility that not all races come from God. That not all of the races were created by Yahweh and that the non-whites are corruptions of his creation. And that is why they are devils. The Jews are this, the, the offspring of these fallen angels and Cain and these Rephaim, and that's why they're devils. And that's why they have those genetic traits that even the no-Satan people have admitted are permanently in, in, in bred into them, that they're like that from generation to generation, that it's innate. It's well, part of their see, even, nature. Even nature has made them two different kind of creatures because Adamites are ruddy in complexion. They have reddish to their and In fact, the word Adam, the, the word dam in Adam is blood. And in Adamites, you can see see the um, 
uh, we, you know, if you're in photography, you call it flesh tone. And it's reddish. But the Jews are of a swarthy uh, uh, complexion. And and so uh, we appear different uh, physically. Uh, uh. Well, absolutely. They're bastards physically. The Jews are bastards. That's why in... in, in in, in Palestine, these Jews that have recollected in Palestine, a lot of them look just like Arabs. And an Arab can just walk into a Jewish synagogue and pipe bomb it without being detected because you can't tell the difference between. I think they've even done and some DNA tests and found similarities between. Them. Oh yeah, they are Arabs. Yeah. They have every bit the same blood. The, the Jews may, most Jews may have a little more white blood mixed into them, but they're, they're every bit the same people. Well, it's like uh, there in uh, in Hebrews, you're either sons or you're bastards. Well, well, the no Satan advocates do not or did not see the possibility that not all races came from Yahweh, that the non-whites are corruptions of his creation, and that is why they are devils. The no Satan advocates are denying the concept of a supernatural devil who had the power and ability of Yahweh God himself. And we agree with that. We do not see a supernatural devil in Genesis 3.15. And we don't even claim to know where the the fallen angels fell from because heaven can simply be an allegory for a godly kingdom on earth. Can it not? Right. So we're not going to pretend to know exactly where the fallen angels fell from, but they didn't necessarily fall out of the clouds to the ground. That That's just not necessary to believe that. That they could have come from another plane of existence. They could have come from simply a, 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 a kingdom of so-called angels that were here on earth before us. And, and there's um, even a lot of archaeology that, that that might lead one to come to that conclusion that that's true. So I'm not even going to go there this evening. But it's not a given that devils fell out of the clouds onto the ground and, and started their own little society here. That, that That's not necessary to believe that. So and and it's not necessary to believe that the serpent of Genesis 3:15 was a supernatural being that that could come down from heaven and rape a woman and go back up into heaven. Even though that's what the ancient Greeks had believed of those early Hebrew stories and 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 their own myths reflected. So these no Satan people that they're fighting against a Satan that is the the Roman Catholic version of Satan or, or some other version of Satan that that's um not the version that that the Bible necessitates that somebody believes. Yeah, we can't point exactly where they came from, but we know damn well they're here because we can go and visit them if we want to. And and we know that before Right. And and before Adam was created, we know they were here because there was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil here. And and that's their tree.
this same writer, that this same writer accused two seedliners of being in a trance, of chasing shadows, of claiming that we were a drag on Christian identity because we believed two seedlines. And he said, Christianity itself cannot survive the hypnotism of apostasy. Pagan concepts have riddled our faith with confusion for far too long. The theater of two seed line is an abomination which Christian identity should divorce itself from. Surely we have higher intellectual standards for the survival of white Christian civilization than the dueling banjos of good and evil. Christian identity is in a precarious stage of development because of a doctrinal anarchy which endangers any semblance of Christian unity. And, and Clifton, you had, you, you had, um, answered that by explaining that this individual completely overlooks Luke chapter 12 verse 51 where Christ says, suppose ye that I have come to give peace on earth, I tell you no, but rather division. And, and then you asked, how is he going to accomplish all of this so-called Christian unity if Yahshua Christ himself is not behind it because Christ came to bring division. He knew that he would cause division. And in response to that, you said, rather, it's the communist Jews who are calling for world unity. What, what was that? It's the communist Jews who are calling for world unity, yeah, not right. for Christ. And as much as Yahshua himself is not calling for unity, unity in, in that sense can hardly be Christian. Evidently, he doesn't understand that division is just the opposite of unity. So why is he calling for unity while Yahshua Christ is calling for division? Therefore, it doesn't appear that he is following Christ's paramount example. And, and then you attempted to explain why do we do not have unity. And, and we won't have unity until all of the enemies of Christ are, are destroyed. I'll pick up here. He doesn't seem to understand the reason we don't have any unity is because we as Israel didn't do the job we were commissioned for. To give an explanation why we didn't have unity, I will go to Matthew Henry's commentary on the whole Bible, volume 2, page 1, an exposition uh, with practical observations of the book of Joshua. Uh, this passage says in part, uh, at the time uh, when I was looking this up uh, to see what was there Matthew Henry's is, is about a six volume five or six volume uh, commentary and I don't rate it very high but but this part I thought was amazing um, uh, and I'll go into into that here and this is what I found written at the part of what I at the head of the uh, first chapter of Joshua is what uh, Matthew Henry uh, had there. Though Joshua is not expressly mentioned in the New Testament as a type of Christ, yet all agree that he was a very eminent one. He bore our Savior's name. 
as did also another type of him, Joshua the high priest, Zechariah uh, 6, 11, 12. The Septuagint uh, giving the name of Joshua a Greek termination called him uh, called him all along Iusus. Jesus. Jesus. Yes. Uh, uh, Jesus. And so he is called at Acts 7.45 and Hebrews 4.8. Justin Martyr, one of the first writers of the Christian church, Dialogue of Trifle. Typhra, page 30, uh, makes the promise in Exodus 23.20. My angel shall bring thee into the place I have prepared to point to Joshua and these words. My name is in him. To refer to this, that his names, name or names, should be the same with that of the Messiah. It signifies he shall save. Joshua saves God's people from the Canaanites. Our Lord Jesus saves them from their sins. Christ as Joshua is the captain of our salvation, a leader and a commander of the people. To tread Satan under their feet to put them in a possession of the heavenly Canaan and to give them rest, which it is said, Hebrews 4, 8, Joshua did not. So, so before you finish the last paragraph, that this is Justin Martyr. He was a, he was a, um, Christian writer of the mid second century BC, probably about a hundred years after the destruction of Jerusalem. And he was from Syria and, and he really didn't know the writings of Paul of Tarsus because Paul of Tarsus wasn't accepted by the, 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 um, the Christians that were affected by the Judaizers. Paul was rejected by those Christians and, and they became the Ebionites and, and the people at Antioch in, and in Syria. But aside from that, even though Justin Martyr didn't understand Paul of Tarsus, he still did very well with many scriptures. And he and, and this is from the dialogue with Trifo on page 300. And, and he equates Joshua of the Old Testament as a type of Christ. And Joshua failed, even though Joshua himself wanted the Israelites to destroy all the Canaanites. Under Joshua, they failed. And even though Joshua himself wanted to bring the Israelites to a state of rest, through their obedience to God and carrying out all of his commandments, right, by obeying Yahweh and doing everything he told them, the Israelites would have had a state of rest. And that's the analogy Paul makes in Hebrews chapter 4, that Joshua, the earthly successor to Moses, failed to do that. 
because of the disobedience of the Israelites, but that Christ, who had the same name, because Joshua was a type of Christ, Christ would be successful in doing that. Well, I should add one more thing that, that should be taken into consideration. There was no J in in any alphabet for till about 1500. Well, right. It would be Yahshua and, and Yahshua in both testaments. So, yeah. So. <laughs> well, see, it'd, it'd be pretty hard to have a have a Jesus with a J. Right. So Matthew Henry connects that this um where he says you know where he describes what Joshua failed to do, which was the destruction of all the Canaanites. He then connects Genesis three fifteen with, with Romans sixteen twenty, where Paul of Tarsus said that the Romans would tread Satan under their feet, right? Right. right. And, and Matthew Henry makes that connection and understands that those enemies of Christ's in in Jerusalem were those same Canaanites. Well, he's connecting them with those with, same Canaanites that would be treaded under the feet by the Romans. He Matthew Henry connects them to the Canaanites and connects them back to Genesis three fifteen to that serpent. Same as Paul predicted ahead ahead of time that that the Romans would tread on Satan lately. Right, and for, and for, Paul short, connected shortly. them. Right. Paul connected them back to Genesis 3.15. Well, Matthew Henry's doing the same thing, and he's quoting Justin Martyr. Mm -hmm. So he's teaching two seed line. Well, I didn't quite get that out of, out of that myself, but I, I guess you're right. That It's all right there in black and white. I'm sorry. You, you could read your, your – your, you have a few other notes to make. Yeah. Well, you know, I, uh, I was uh, impressed by it because – of, of the name situation, and I was particularly uh, that Joshua of the, uh, of, you know, the first Joshua of chapter of the, of the book of Joshua, that he was considered an angel, and that yes. that that uh, Christ's name would be in him. Right. And and. Uh, that's right in almost everybody's Bible, so but I'll go ahead and start reading uh, here again. A few things should be noted here, particularly that the Joshua of the Old Testament saved the Israelites from their, uh, the Canaanites of that day, attempted to give them rest. Matthew Henry almost gets it correct here as our Joshua, Yahshua, Yah saves, will also save us from our modern day Canaanites. Paul the Apostle made it clear at Romans 16.20 that the Romans would tread on, tread or bruise Satan under their feet shortly. And the Romans, who were Zarah-Judah, Israelites, of the seed of the woman, Genesis 3.15, surely trounced the hell out of the bad pig Canaanite Edomite Jews at Jerusalem in 70 A.D. But that's not what, but that's not the end of the story as Yahshua's second advent 
as that Yahshua said, the seed of the woman in the person of Yahshua Christ is going to do it again and permanently. Zechariah 14.21 Without an understanding of two seeds of Genesis 3.15, the Bible makes little sense. Church entity has made a big thing out of so-called personal salvation while completely overlooking the seed of the serpent versus the seed of the woman. Note, I do not fully endorse Matthew Henry's comments, but he did fairly well here. You know, I still have that paper, and it's not proofread, and you sent it to me in August, and I still haven't had a chance to proofread it, and, and it's your paper describing the pitfalls of the commentaries. <laughs> I, it will get proofread soon. I'll try. Maybe um, in a couple of weeks. I can't do it this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, where Paul said to the Romans that, that – um, Satan will be bruised under your feet shortly, that the Lord or Yahweh will bruise Satan under your feet shortly. He identifies that Satan for us in 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, he had written 2 Thessalonians from Corinth around 50 AD. And he wrote Romans from the Troad around 57 AD. So when he wrote Romans from the Troad, he had already defined that Satan that the Romans were going to crush. Back in 50 AD, when he wrote his second epistle to the Thessalonians, and he described Satan as sitting in the temple of of Yahweh, pretending to be Yahweh. Yeah, right. So that's the Satan he has to be talking about when he wrote Romans seven years later. And he wrote Romans around 57 AD. And then it may have been 58, but I think it was 57. It'd I, I, almost have to be Herod the Great, wouldn't it? Well, well 12 years. Well, well, it's the Sadducee Edomite or, high priest. Or some of his relations. Yeah, all the Sadducees, all the high priests were Edomites. They were Sadducees. That they, that they were the people that Paul had to be talking about in 2 Thessalonians. Herod was appointing all of those high priests. Yeah. And 13 years later, Jerusalem was destroyed. Shortly, from 57 A.D., shortly, would be 70 A.D. when Jerusalem was destroyed. As you yourself said, this individual who, who um, this no-Satan individual that you're addressing here in this paper, has practically consigned the two seed liners to hellfire, for which I will repeat his words here where he implies as much. He said, if Satan is not real... The two sea liners are not only wrong, they are in grave danger of forfeiting any chance of redemption to enter the kingdom. That's crazy. It would be better for them to do nothing and shut their mouths than to be barking, Satan is real, outside of the New Jerusalem, with the rest of the dogs, idolaters, and whosoever loves and makes a lie. And, and now I will read what is, in essence, your Second response to this, because you quoted it and responded to it, and then you quoted it again and and responded to it. And and you said, referring again to Matthew Henry's quotation above, as long as the seed of the serpent remains with us, we will have division. And Joshua Christ will keep the division going until there are are no more serpent seed Canaanites. 
And as long as there are so-called Christian identity believers who refuse to help identify the seed of the serpent of Genesis 3.15, it will take longer to finally have peace and unity in Israel. No, it's not we two seed liners who are causing all of the problems in Israel. It's them. It is they who are delaying the process by which we will finally have unity, meaning identity Christians. A few years ago, I wrote a paper titled Unity and Divisions, where I basically explained that the grounds for unity are a strict racial understanding of the scriptures and the covenants of God, and that all the other races are permanently excluded, along with the preeminent belief, because this comes first, right, that Yahshua Christ is God and King. I cannot really imagine any other grounds for unity as long as we keep the commandments. But I see a willingness to keep the law as a facet of the profession that Christ is king. You shouldn't profess that Christ is king if you can't keep his commandments, right? Is there anything that you can add to this? Um, the, the, the principles of, that we must have unity under, that we, we can disagree on a lot of things, but there are some things that we can't disagree on or we'll never have unity. Yeah, right. And, and the race issue and, and Christ being God and king to me and, and the exclusion of all the other races forever, that those three things, if we could agree on those three things, I, I don't see why we shouldn't have unity. Yeah, right. It, even if we think the earth's flat. <laughs> <laughs> or if you think the earth's flat. <laughs> well, maybe we could... Uh, um partially agree with them and say, well, maybe it's concave. Well, well, right, but no, my point is that we can disagree on a lot of things, but there's yeah, some right. things that we can't agree on. What we there are can't, certain things what that we, we can't cannot disagree on. We, we can't uh, cave in right. and partially agree with them right. to satisfy them. And, and if all the other races, and, and preeminently the Jews are the, en- are, are the enemies of Christ... Is there any need for any further belief in a so-called Satan? Isn't that enough of a Satan? I still say that you can visit Satan by going to a Jewish Well, Well, right, exactly. That's exactly what I'm saying. They are Satan. Collectively, they are Satan. The word for Satan means adversary. And, And how could it not be clear that the Jews are Satan? They have been adversarial to Christ. Throughout every generation, consistently, and even the, the, the converso Jews in the Middle Ages really only joined the Catholic Church to subvert it or so that they could operate behind a mask of Christianity. And, and they were never truly Christians. They're the ones that they um, put the torture and, 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 and the tourniquets uh, drive slivers up their... Um, Fingernails. Yeah, right. The Jews were running the Inquisition yeah. against the other Jews. To a great extent, they were. Converso Jews were torturing their fellow Jews for not going along with them in their lie, I, I gather. And, you know, after they was kicked out by Queen Isabella, they went to South America. And for a while, they was free of it. And then the Inquisition followed them, and they had to get out of there. And, and they, they, uh, they left South America and went up... Uh, through the Gulf, you know, not too far from us here, 
and uh, went on up to New York and, and, and landed in New York. Yep. And, and if all the, well, well, anything other than the, than the simple requirements of the gospel, would that not be blowing a trumpet with an uncertain sound? And, and you brought this up in your essay that what the no Satan and anti seedliner people are doing was explained in the letters of Paul that they, they were blowing the trumpet with an uncertain sound. Yes, this is explained at first uh, Corinthians 14, eight for if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself for the battle? Surely, that's the end of that quote there. Surely to declare there is no other enemy than the flesh, then the true enemy is at the door ready to knock it down. Is sending forth an uncertain sound. This Israel, thus Israel doesn't know by the uncertain trumpet blast whether to charge or retreat by reveille or taps. Uh, and if you can't learn how to properly play the bugle, get out of the corpse. As Yahshua doesn't need you as you are Scattering the sheep rather than gathering them. Oh, declaring that the Jews are not the enemy. That is scattering the sheep. That's scattering the sheep. But I will not consign them to be outside the New Testament. With the, the, the New Jerusalem, I'm sorry. Oh. The, the no Satan people said if we believe in a Satan, we're going to be left outside the New Jerusalem. Yeah. But I will not consign them to be outside the new Jerusalem with the rest of the dogs, idolaters and whosoever loves and makes a lie, as they do to the two sea liners. But I will remind them that there is a judgment coming uh, where we will have to account for every idle word. That judgment will be broken down in six categories, Gold, silver, precious stones, hay, wood, and stubble. Paul says, Paul says this at, uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15. For other foundations can no man lay than that is laid, which is Yahshua Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward if a man's work shall be if a man's work shall be burned he shall suffer loss but he himself shall be saved yet so as by fire 
So in short, their false teachings may not prevent them from entering the kingdom, but they will be tried by fiery judgment and any teachings which fall into the hay, wood, and stubble category will be burned, leaving them empty-handed for uh, eternity. And that's a long time. But if they feel comfortable with what they are promoting, they can go ahead and see where it gets them. For myself, I will continue writing with the fear, with fear and trembling. But I will say this, if they are so determined that the flesh is the only problem, they need to extend their ministry to the bad fig Jews and convince them to overcome their flesh. For if Cain was the son of Adam, there was no difference genetically between Cain in his relation to Abel and Seth. But that's one of the faulty premises on which both of the both the no Satan and the anti two seed line dogmas are built on. For instance, all of the twelve patriarchal fathers of the tribes of Israel were biblically considered brothers, but actually some were brothers of full blood while others were brothers by half blood. So it was with Eve's son, sons. Well, well, right. And this reminded you of Genesis 4.1, where you said that you said once again that that is a corrupted passage, which we have established many times and, and which you documented in your brochure. The problem with Genesis 4.1 and you, you dismissed that because you've covered it so many times and just said that that brings up another subject. And, and, and then you get into um, Genesis 3.15, where it says in part, her seed. And it is simply amazing, you say, how many uninformed individuals are going around claiming that women don't have any seed, only men. And you said that you've heard grown men claim that Mary, the mother of Yahshua Christ, didn't contribute anything genetically and that God supplied the seed. And all Mary did was to mother the child. Some of the people who make this conjecture are farmers and ranchers and, and should know better. I, I don't know. I, I guess you had um, maybe Ted Wyland in mind there. No, I had uh, a guy by the name of Feldick out in Oklahoma. Feldick. That teaches uh, uh, futurism. Okay. Ted Ra Ted Wyland comes close to being a rancher. He was a rodeo clown. Yeah, right. <laughs> Well, at, I, at, at least he's had his hands have... on some bull. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I would say that they should know better because if Mary did not supply any seed, then Christ may have been born of God, but he could not have been the seed of David. Les Vildek said said that uh, Mary, Mary didn't contribute uh, any seed. But then Christ could not have been the seed of David, or he couldn't have been the seed of Abraham. 
Unless Yahweh dug Abraham up and and preserved some of his sperm. I, well, I mean, I'll tell you, uh, Les Feldick is a good example of hay, wood, and stubble. I guess. It, it's. I don't know how Christ could be the seed of David or the seed of Abraham or of the house of Judah if he wasn't the natural genetic son of Mary as well as the natural genetic son of, of Yahweh, son of God. Right. Continuing with your um, your remarks here, you say, I find it necessary to repeat here a quotation I have often used to refute such a notion. Science knows today that each single cell of the human body has two sets of 23 chromosomes or a total of 46. And, and then you go on to quote the World Book Encyclopedia in volume nine on page 192. Every human body contain, every human body cell contains two sets of 23 chromosomes. These two sets look very much alike. Each well, if they're of the same race, maybe <laughs> each chromosome depends on how close you look, right? Each chromosome in one set can be matched with a particular chromosome in the other set. Egg cells and sperm cells have each have only one set of 23 chromosomes. These cells are formed in a special way and end up with only half the number of chromosomes found in body cells. As a result, when an egg and sperm come together, the fertilized egg will contain the 46 chromosomes of a normal body cell. Half of the chromosomes come from the mother and half from the father. With this in mind, we know that we know then that Mary supplied 23 chromosomes from her egg cell and Yahweh supplied the other 23 chromosomes from himself without having normal sexual intercourse. If the scriptures are true, the same Yahweh who created the entire universe, which is infinite, unlimited light years in all directions, condensed his entire being into 23 chromosomes, which were then united with Mary's egg and its 23 chromosomes. And that's the only way that Christ could be of the house of Judah, right. the, the seed of David, the seed of Abraham. That's it, the only possible way. Right. Yahweh didn't break any of his natural laws in doing this. For in the Old Testament, every priest who entered the area behind the veil had to be a perfect specimen of a man without any deformities, as he represented Christ. So for Christ to be born of some unnatural genetic makeup would be contrary to his own laws handed down to Israel, his people. Yet many of the no-Satan and anti-two-seed-line people declare that Mary supplied no seed to the physical body of Christ and that Eve had no seed. Charles Weissman is one of those uninformed persons who made such a statement at a Pete Peters meeting, and Pete Peters bought Weissman's venom, hook, line, and sinker. And, and I would get, you know, people wonder why we so readily scoff at these anti-seed liners and don't even give them any respect that this is certainly representative of the garbage that they have come up with that they're forced to come up with to support their positions. They have to invent this garbage. And they twist passage after passage after passage because they cannot accept one particular passage for what it really says. That Eve had seed and the serpent had seed and they would be forever in enmity with one another. Right. And, and a lot of people wonder how Cain is not the seed of Eve. 
even though Eve gave birth to Cain. And I want to explain that briefly here and how Abel is the seed of Eve. And, and that's because when a woman gives birth to a child by another race, she's actually creating a third time, a third kind. And that child's seed is not her seed because it has a different nature interjected into it. So it can't be her seed. If a white woman has a Negro baby, it might be her baby, but it's not her seed because it it's a mismatch with her own seed. You see what I mean? It can't be her seed. She's of one particular kind if she's white, and her mate is of another particular kind if he's black. That baby's of a third kind. It's not her seed. That third baby is a GMO. Yeah, it's a genetically mongrelized organism, right? <laughs> so modified. Eve's seed, Eve's entire body came from Adam. So Eve's seed is Adam's seed. So if, well, uh, I wrote another paper that Eve was made 100% from Adam. Right. And if Eve has a child with a serpent, that child is not Eve's seed because it's not Adam's seed. Right. But then she has a child with Abel and, and she has the child Abel with Adam and then she has the child Seth with Adam. Those are of her seed because it, it's of her race and kind and, and it's of the same seed that she's of. So that is how Cain is the serpent seed, but he's not Eve's seed. Because, there's, there's so many ways to prove that right. uh, Cain doesn't fit into the picture. That's just amazing. Well, well you, go, you come here, and, and I'm going to read these last um, couple of paragraphs to, to this section. You come here and you say, I would rather not have to explain to grown men like Weissman and, and Peters. I would rather not have to explain to grown men about the birds and the bees, but it is necessary here. Conception starts when the 23 chromosomes of the male sperm unite with the 23 chromosomes of the female, producing the first complete cell of the newborn. Thus, after this union takes place, the first cell of 46 chromosomes exists. From this single cell, as it is multiplied by division into other cells, some become specialized cells such as muscle, brain, skin, eye, hair, etc., Nevertheless, each specialized cell contains the entire DNA record of the first cell. Copies of those same 46 chromosomes. Although the various functions of the specialized cells will be different. Thus, every single cell in the baby contains 23 chromosomes from each parent. In other words, in the case of Christ, the 46 chromosomes of each red cell in Christ's blood was made up of 23 chromosomes from Mary and 23 chromosomes from the Almighty. So also for all the other specialized cells of Christ's physical body, of all the millions of cells that make up the physical body of a person, half of the chromosomes of of those individual cells are from the mother and half from the father. I could go on explaining the DNA of a cell and the process of cell division, but if one can't already comprehend about the chromosomes, Any further discussion would be to no avail. I will, though, add one more thing. The baby does not receive its blood from the mother, as some surmise. And of course it doesn't. The baby makes its own blood from the first cell produced at conception. 
After conception, all the mother does is supply nourishment and oxygen to the child and transport away the waste products produced by its living, developing body. The child's blood is made in the marrow of his or her own bones, just as with we adults. And when Christ shed his blood, it was half from the Almighty and half from Mary or the Adamic man. I would highly suggest that all the no Satan and anti Tusi line people bone up on the subject of anatomy, along with other pertinent topics. Do you have anything that you want to add to that? Anything you want to elaborate on that this is the chance to do it? Well, um, um, they're doing things today with genetics that's um, unbelievable. And, And According to according to the way they're doing it, uh, it's like a three parent baby and and various things that they're working with. It just it just dumbfounding what they're doing. Oh yeah, it's absolutely. But you know something? These are the descendants of the fallen angels. Yeah. And there's some white men in in cahoots with them. But this is exactly what they must have been doing. Way back before the creation of Adam, when the fallen angels corrupted the creation of God the first time. And that tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the other races which come from it, which come from that tree. And and we can know that the other races come from that tree because they have the same destiny. Yahweh did not create anything that was evil and made to be destroyed. Yet Peter and Jude describe these other races amongst us as evil beasts made to be taken and destroyed. And all of the goat nations, the non-sheep nations, all of them are going to be consigned to the same fate as the devil and his angels in the lake of fire. That's the parable of the sheep and the goats. And a lot of people claim the parable of the sheep and the goats is all about behavior. But if you really pay attention to what Christ is saying in that parable. The goats are not condemned because of how they treated other goats. The goats are condemned for how they treated the sheep. That's why they're judged. And that's why they're all going in a lake of fire. Okay, Clifton, it's been wonderful. Thank you for joining us. How's it? Thank you for joining us. Yeah, yeah. uh... I was happy to do it. Well, perhaps we'll do part three in a month or so. And I'd like to talk, uh, you know, to more extent about DNA and GMOs and, and I've written other papers. Uh, I don't, I don't pretend to be a, I, I started learning the anatomy in barber school and I got interested in it and, and it's been a hobby of mine to bone up on, uh, uh, as much of that stuff as I can, and uh, and I followed this DNA, uh, just unbelievable. Uh, uh, we need to talk about that more, uh, what they're doing. And um, absolutely, and and I'm sure that we'll have um, plenty of opportunity to do that before the series ends. Right. Praise Yahweh, and thank you for listening. <laughs>